Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Now, what we're going to do tonight, uh, we're going to try in our second session here, cover three psalms. So, uh, <laughs> don't faint. Uh, so, we're just going to sort of touch on the high spots, but they sort of belong to each other. And uh, this is not original with me. So forth. So on your notes that you've got here, uh, these are what we call the shepherd psalms. And I do trust that you've been able to read them. So we're looking at Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. These are the shepherd psalms. Now, okay, just introductory notes here. The writer, of course, is David. And remember that David was a shepherd. He was a king. He's a prophet. And he touched something in the priestly office there and wasn't struck dead. So uh, he's such a blessed person in spite of that uh, one dark spot on the whiteboard of his life. But shepherd, king, prophet, priest. And this is to the chief musician uh, in the tabernacle of David, we assume. And then uh, we saw that last week, Messianic Psalms, uh, when Jesus opened the, the, the law, the Psalms and the prophets, uh, they spoke of the sufferings and the glory that should follow. Now, the outline theme of the Psalms, and I want you, as I go through here, we're only going to be able to touch on the high spots, but I've given you enough outline uh, for those who want to explore further. I want you to sort of superimpose uh, the shepherd Psalms on here. So I can say it for a start before we look at scriptures. Psalm 22 is the outer court Psalm. It's the sufferings of Messiah. Psalm 23 is the Good Shepherd Psalm, and it's the Holy Place Psalm. But when you come to Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. It's the most holy place. So these three, Outer Court, Psalm 22, Holy Place, Psalm 23, the table, you prepare a table before me, and the King of glory come in, Psalm 24. That's the picture that we have, and there'll be more we'll touch on in a moment. So I want you to bear with me and look at these scriptures. uh, Psalm 22 is, uh, pardon me, come out. Uh, The Psalm of the Good Shepherd, John 10 and verse 11. I'll just read it, I think, uh, because we've got too much material to cover. So remember, Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. And what is the characteristic of the Good Shepherd? The Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So Psalm 22 is where uh, he gives his life for the sheep. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the great shepherd. So Hebrews 13, verse 20, I've given you the scripture. Uh, you return unto the, the blood of the uh, everlasting covenant of the great shepherd of the sheep. So he's the good shepherd giving his life. He's the great shepherd uh, and the blood of the covenant. And then Psalm 24 in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he's called the chief shepherd. That's the picture we have First uh, Peter 5, verse 7. Uh, we are under shepherds if we're called in, uh, involved in looking after people, but he is the chief shepherd. So these three are the shepherd psalms. Psalm 22, the good shepherd. Psalm 23, the great shepherd. And Psalm 24, the chief shepherd. Now, you'll notice here in Hebrews chapter 9, and you, you, I'm, I'm encouraging you, you must read the scriptures. Uh, Hebrews 9, 26, we have Messiah's first appearing. He's appeared in the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's his first appearing. And then Hebrews 9.24, that's why I call this the three appearings. He has now appeared in the presence of God 
uh, God for us. It's the present appearing. And then when he uh, comes the second time, the second time he, he will appear without sin unto salvation. In other words, not as a sacrifice for sin, but for full redemption. That's uh, the three appearings. His first appearing, Psalm 22. His present appearing, Psalm 23. And his uh, second appearing, second coming, Hebrews 9, 28. It's all there. In Psalm 22, he's revealed as the prophet. Psalm 23, he's revealed as the priest. And Psalm 24, he's the king, the king of glory. Superimposing the same uh, truths on our diagram here. Psalm 22 is the outer court. And let me say something here you might like to take. When Jesus hung on the cross, as Psalm 22 is dealing with, they wanted to hasten the death of the crucified so they would break the legs and they broke the legs of the two thieves. But when they came to Jesus to break his legs, they found he'd already yielded himself into your hands. I commit my spirit, the seven, seven sayings on the cross. And you know what they did? They took a spear and pierced his side and forthwith came blood and water, blood and water. Now there's something very significant about that because when John takes it up, uh, John's gospel only records that. And First John chapter 5, verse uh, 7, 8, somewhere in there, uh, again he says this is he that came by water and blood not by water only by water and blood and it's the spirit that bears witness how many remember that yeah. now think of the significance for 1500 years any Israelite that wanted to approach God they would come to the brazen altar blood sacrificial blood and then when the priest went to minister in at the table lampstand altar incense they had to wash their hands and feet in the labor water 1500 years blood and water blood and water there was no escaping into here or sneaking under the boards or sneaking through they had to face the blood and the water so when jesus died i don't know how you feel this type of thing overwhelms me the glory of it that when jesus died on the cross and that soldier unconsciously unwittingly pierced his side and forthwith came blood and water. He fulfilled and abolished animal sacrifices, animal blood, and ceremonial washings of, of water with the blood and water that flowed from his side. And so miraculous was it that John said, and he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. How many think that's worth a hallelujah? Wow. 1500 years the washing so how's he going to cleanse the church by the blood of jesus and the washing of water by the word are you having a good wash tonight yes. with the word yeah and the blood of jesus that's it uh yeah so the outer court then the holy place psalm 23 most holy place then in the other court i've sort of just dealt with that the brazen altar blood lave up water table lampstand incense psalm 23 you prepare a table before me and then the ark of the covenant lift up your heads O you gate and the king of glory will come in and psalm 22 has to do with his crucifixion and psalm 23 his resurrection psalm 24 his ascension and then in psalm 22 you see the picture of the cherubim and the and the mercy seat what was on the mercy seat blood and blood is the evidence of death blood is the evidence that somebody has died that's it blood on the mercy seat but in psalm 80 the language changes give ear O shepherd shepherd that dwells between the cherubims wow you think the bible was inspired well it is because the lord is my shepherd and then in psalm 99 you must read the scriptures 
we see the king that reigns between the cherubims. Bloodstained mercy seat, Psalm 22. Psalm 23, cherubim and the shepherd. And Psalm 99, verse 1, cherubim and the king. And then you remember the three gifts that if it was three wise men, they brought to Jesus in, as a babe. They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what way did he receive them in his life? First the myrrh, the sufferings. Then the frankincense, he ever lives to make intercession for us, the incense, and then the gold, the glory. How many think the Bible could be inspired? And then Psalm 22, Christ dying for his sheep. And Psalm 23, Christ living for his sheep. And Christ coming for his sheep. Wow, how awesome that is. All right, now let's go to Psalm 22. And I'd like you to have your Bible open here and just touch on some high spots so that we're not too late here. I don't know uh, how many have seen an article like this. Uh, it's it's too, too much to read, of course. Uh, but when I was studying this psalm, I was going through some notes here, and somebody gave me this off from uh, New Wine magazine many, many years ago. And uh, this man, uh, I'll just read a little bit of it if you bear with me. In this article, I shall discuss some of the physical aspects of the passion or suffering of Jesus Christ. We shall follow him from Gethsemane through his trial, his scourging, his path along uh, the Via Dolorosa to his last dying hours on the cross. I I became interested in this about a year ago when I read an account of the crucifixion in Jim Bishop's book, The Day Christ Died. I suddenly realized that I had taken the crucifixion more or less for granted all these years and that I had grown callous to its horror by a too easy familiarity with the grim details and a too distant friendship with him. It finally occurred to me that as a physician I did not even know the actual immediate course of death and he went into this from a physical point of view and as I read this to tell the truth it just brought tears to my eyes I said because we understand the spiritual suffering of Christ but we don't understand the physical and that's why for me communion is very sacred and that when we partake of the broken body let's call it the body and the cup of blessing representing his blood it's very meaningful very meaningful let's never make light of it and so he does uh, with the physical sufferings of Christ and of course David being a prophet yeah he's speaking of that so let's go to your notes here and I'll just sort of run through here because uh, we're doing the trilogy of Psalms so Psalm 22 it's the good shepherd Messiah's crucifixion sufferings and if you compare, uh, compare verse 1 to 21 with Matthew chapter 26 27 I've put a lot of the Matthew and Luke scriptures there uh, a, a number of the expositors say that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he actually quoted uh, Psalm 22. And uh, as, you, as we'll touch on some of the high spots, you'll find that even the, the mockers, they quoted some of it back to him. And uh, yeah, just in their cruelty, see a man suffering there. So he starts off with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, just scattered thoughts I'll give you here. But um, when I think of uh, Hebrews 12, it says, uh, Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You know, the cross was the biggest contradiction that Jesus went through. Because you see, in the Gospels, he said, My Father's always with me. My Father never leaves me. But now on the cross, he's saying, My God, why have you forsaken me? We, I, I can't comprehend it. We can't. But I hope that you have a greater love for him 
him tonight after this, God forsaken. He was God forsaken that we might never be God forsaken. Wow. And he's quoting that, verse 1. And then he's Gethsemane, his prayers. He sweat as it were, great drops of blood. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? Oh God, I cry in the daytime. You don't hear me in the night season. And I'm not silent. Think of his prayers. But in the midst of it, you are holy. Why is he dying? He's dying there for our sins. You inhabit the praises of Israel. And then number three, just going through your notes there. You think of the trust. They mocked his trust. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and you were, and were not ashamed. And so what did the religious leaders do? Sling that trust. Oh, he trusted that God would deliver him. Let him deliver him. And you know, that hurts. And I often say to leaders, and pardon me being a bit emotional on this, I often say to people, you have to learn to value people's trust and not violate it. I've seen some ministers over the years from bomb out with immorality and so forth, violate people's trust. People trust me. I don't, I value their trust. I don't want to ever violate that trust. And you see, you might like to make a note of this. I know I'm rambling a bit. You have to understand the difference between forgiveness and trust. Some people I've had to forgive as God has forgiven us and we forgive one another, but to say, you don't trust me. I say, no. Do you know why? It takes years to build up trust and trust can be destroyed over overnight, but is not restored overnight. Are you listening? So you've got to understand the distinction between forgiveness and trust. So don't violate people's trust. It takes years to build it up. It's destroyed overnight. It's not rebuilt overnight. And you can forgive a person. I've seen people in marriages say, well, can you forgive your wife? Can you forgive your husband? I'll forgive him, but I don't trust him. Oh, I can understand because the trust has been violated. How many, how many hear what I'm saying? Yeah, so value people's trust. So they mocked him. His humiliation. I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. He's despised and rejected of men. Verse 7. All those who see me ridicule me. You're the son of God. You saved others. Save us, the thieves. Come down from the cross. Then we'll believe. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Mocking his birth. Verse 9. But you are he that took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from my from birth. And can, I mean, I, I can't comprehend it. I, I say it. But can we think of the second person of the Godhead, first night out of heaven, entering the virgin's womb and being born in the mess that you and I were born? I mean, talk about humility. This should knock all the pride out of us for the humility of the second person of the Godhead to be born that way. Oh, wow. His prayers again. His enemies. Go down to verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gave at me with their mouths like a raging, roaring lion. The devil is the roaring lion. He's behind it. But the bulls of Bashan, religious leaders who mocked him as he went through the seven sayings on the cross. We, we just can't comprehend it. And when people make light of the cross, I mean, You'll just pardon me, being honest here. Uh, my brother-in-law took over a particular Pentecostal church and this young minister uh, who took over his place, he said at the communion table, I'm never ever going to talk about the crucifixion. That's too negative. Let's talk about the positiveness of the resurrection. Dum-dum. There would never be any resurrection if it wasn't for the crucifixion. To say that at the Lord's table, oh, it grieves me. And then verse 14, his physical sufferings. I'm poured out like water. 
water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it's melted within me. My strength is dry like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. And just reading this article afresh and crying as I went through it. You know, the physical sufferings, nails in your hands and your feet. You try to lift yourself up to ease the pain and the we just can't comprehend it. We can't comprehend it. So when people say following Christ, just cheer, it's not. Oh, what he went through for me, for you. The tongue, so dry, brought me to the dust of death. And then further religious dogs, because Paul talks about beware of the circumcision, beware of dogs. Dogs have surrounded me. Uh, congregation of wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can all, count all my bones, because in the Passover, not a bone was to be broken of the Passover lamb. They look and stare at me. And you go through Matthew's gospel. They just sat there and looked at him and stared at him with all that suffering. You know, how callous can we be? Yeah. They, and look at verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. I mean, a remarkable prophecy that David composed as a prophet, foretelling a measure of his sufferings, but nothing, as he sees the Messiah, the greatest son of David. Wow, so awesome. And his prayers again. Then you go down to verse 22, letter B, uh, Messiah's resurrection. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. And so... Go to my brethren and your brethren. Say, my God and your God. All after the resurrection. That's the picture we have. And then verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before you. And then it ends up, just for time's sake here, uh, under letter C, Messiah's kingdom reign. And it goes, uh, verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations. All the kingdoms of the nations shall worship. The kingdom is the Lord. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. He is the governor among the nations. And then verse 30, and this is worth a little hallelujah, a seed shall serve him. We are that seed. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. He, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days because the seed will come from his bride. They shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. And let me add, that shall be born again that he has done this. And some of the Hebrew guys say that, uh, that he has done this is in the Hebrew is the last saying of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. So it begins with my God, why have you forsaken me? It ends with it is finished. Wow, how many think that's an awesome psalm? And how, how, how many just feel your heart moved towards the Lord? Say, thank you, Jesus. I just read that article. I thought, Lord, I just love you. Did this for me. Okay, let's go on to Psalm 23. I'll try and cheer up a bit. I, I, as you look at Psalm 23, which is uh, the most well-known psalm of all, uh, over the years, as I've collected so many things, you know, I've got a lot of years behind me, I collected uh, a couple of parodies of Psalm 23. So I don't want to read this for you to laugh, but just to show you a parody that uh, this testimony, this woman wrote. This is my psalm. I am a young woman, 20 years of age, and for the past year and one and a half, I've been wandering down the nightmare of the junkie. I want to quit taking dope, and I try, but I can't. I did, people didn't care, nor did hospitalization help me for long. Doctor told me it would have been better and indeed kinder if the person who first got me hooked on dope had taken a gun and blown my brains out. And I wish to God she had. By God, how I wish it. 
Listen to her parody of Psalm 23. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm like this. King Heron, Heron is my shepherd. I shall always want. He makes me to lie down in the gutters. He leads me beside the troubled waters. He destroys my soul. He leads me in the paths of wickedness for the effort's sake. Yea, and I shall walk through the valley of poverty and will fear all evil. For thou, Heron, art with me. Thy needle and capsule try to comfort me. Thou strippest the table of groceries in the presence of my family. Thou robbest my head of reason. My cup of sorrow runs over. Surely heroin addiction shall stalk me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the damned forever. Wow. As a Psalm 23, what happened to the heroin uh, made me cry. So we start off and uh, maybe I'll give a little commercial plug here. Two of the greatest books on Psalm 23, and, and you see, we are a sheep-grazing nation, but in, uh, when I was in the Middle East, I learned so much about the shepherd. Uh, we drive sheep. <laughs> in, the, in the Middle East, they lead sheep, you know. Uh, the shepherd knows his sheep by name. We don't know any of you. We just call him you, USB, you silly boy. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, if you can get hold of this book, uh, he leads me by C.W. Slemming. Shepherd Life in Palestine, and it's from the Palestine point of view, not the Western point of view. If you can get, either get that one, or a Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller, uh, that's wonderful, and that's from a Middle Eastern point of view, not from a Western point of view. So he leadeth me, a seed of me of slimming, and a Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, uh, Philip Keller. They are excellent books. Okay, so let's uh, touch on a, a couple of thoughts here. Watching my time here, we're doing okay. Are you doing okay? Yes. Uh, sorry to be emotional here. All right, we'll cheer up a little bit here. Uh, in the first part here, ver- uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We actually have about uh, three different names here, or three different, uh, uh, in the Hebrew, three thoughts, different Hebrews in the thought. And so number one is the Lord is my shepherd. It's very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, have you ever thought of this? Who shepherds Kevin Connor? Do you, do you think I need a shepherd? Yeah. Because you see, all of us as leaders, if we're involved in leadership, we are both shepherd and sheep. Jesus was both shepherd and sheep. He was sheep in his human nature. He is shepherd in his divine nature. And as a sheep, I need a shepherd. I'm shepherding tonight, but I am a sheep. And sometimes I go in the presence of the Lord and say, Bah! <laughs> oh, help me. Lord, you're my shepherd. I need a shepherd. Someone needs to care for me. Leaders, you need a shepherd, but you're also sheep. So sometimes you're in the role of a sheep. Jesus was the good shepherd, but he's also the sheep. He gave his life as a sacrifice. And then another Hebrew word that we have here is the Lord is my pastor. Now, just off the cuff, I personally don't like titles, and I just prefer to be called Kevin. And seeing I'm indulging here, is it all right to indulge? I I try to do this with ministers. It doesn't always go across. The word pastor is only used once in our English translation. 16 times it's translated shepherd. And so when the English translators got to, God has said in the church, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they jumped the word pastor uh, and put pastor instead of shepherd. So what we have done today, and just to give you a bit more shock here, Okay, there is not one church that had a pastor over it. Find me one in the New Testament. And there's not one person that is ever called pastor. Find me one. 
and we have created a partial system that has robbed us of the five-fold ministry. We need apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Amen. Can we say amen? amen? So I don't like titles. When I go to Malaysia, they call me the Reverend, Doctor, Pastor. I said, just Kevin or Brother Kevin, we've got to respect you. Sir. Respect or inspect me, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but here... Uh, so it's only used once. But why did, why did the English translators do that? Because of that titular authority. And I've been to church who say, I'm the pastor, submit or split. So most of them split. Say, hey, your title is your security blanket. Oh, well, I'll get off that. I'm not, I'm not talking to ministers, am I? Thank you, Kevin, for that good point. Uh, but also the Hebrew thought is the Lord is my pastor. So I do need, I need all the ministries. So I'm greedy. And then it also the, the, the word there is the Lord is my feeder. Who feeds me? I'm feeding you Sunday night, you hungry bunch. <laughs> I have to feed. Feed on the word, yeah. So that's very good. The Lord is my pastor, my shepherd, my feeder. And we can all say that. And David was a shepherd, so he knew. He, he was in pastoral ministry, caring for the sheep. He was a feeder and so forth. I shall not want, I shall not lack is a better word. Let me see you here. And then the number four here, uh, put it on your notes there. Uh, the Lord, and I think it was Ben, uh, Ben is Ben, uh, gave me last week uh, just a list of all the names, various uh, various writers do this, uh, the 23rd Psalm. Yeah, so the, the word Lord there is actually a redemptive name, and I'll hold this up even though you can't see it, but uh, some of the writers, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord ever-present. Jehovah Shama, the Lord ever-present. No, the, the previous one should have been the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord. So it's a redemptive name here. The Lord, Jehovah Ra, is my shepherd. And uh, as you go through the redemptive names, all those redemptive names, they are all fulfilled in the greatest name ever to be revealed. Why don't you go over to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. I think it's Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, maybe somebody could help me uh, where he's given him a name which is above every name. Or is that Philippians? Philippians, okay. Uh, t- turn to Philippians chapter 2. Sorry about that. Yes, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 you could put down. It's not on your notes. And it says after him taking upon himself the form of man and so forth and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now listen to verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him not a name, but the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. How many believe that uh, everybody's going to bow at the name of Jesus? Hands up. The answer is no. Let's read it properly. Okay, I didn't finish reading. Sorry, I'd like to catch you now and then. It gives me a sense of fulfillment. Okay, let's read it properly. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
That's it, to the glory of God the Father. So it's not just bowing at the name of Jesus, it's the bowing at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because this is the greatest name ever to be revealed in this world and the world to come, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it the greatest? Because it comprehends in a triune name, triune name of the triune God, it comprehends in one triune redemptive name all the redemptive names of the Old Testament. Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord will provide. God will provide himself the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, he has made peace through the blood of the cross. Jehovah Sid Kenyu, the Lord our righteousness, he is our righteousness, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord ever present. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jehovah uh, Nisai, the Lord our banner, his banner over us shall be love. And Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. So all these redemptive names are all fulfilled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they're going to bow at, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because you see, Lord is the Father's name upon the Son. When my son was born, Mark Andrew Connor, he took my name and my money. Uh, no, no, I used to say. Uh, so he's partaker of Father Connor's name. He is a Connor. In fact, uh, Shelley says there's three Connors now in this place. They're getting a play. Uh, so, but he has his own name. Jesus has his own name as Jesus, and he's the Christ, the Messiah. But when he ascended on high, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand. And Peter says on the day of Pentecost, and this was the first revelation that Peter received when he was spirit-filled, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That was the first declaration of the triune name. And they said, what, we do, what will we do? He said, repent and be baptized. And the earliest manuscripts is, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we do that in water baptism, to try your name. Well, that's enough on that. How many would say amen? So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack. All right, so we go on here. Um, I'm just going to mention these because they're pretty self-explanatory. The explanatory, explanatory. The shepherd and his sheep, feeding, leads me into green pastures, feeding, leading. He leads me. He doesn't drive me. We don't drive the sheep. He restores my soul. Restoration, leading again, walking though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So he's conquered death, but he leads us through the valley. And uh, these uh, books I recommended to you are the best. Following, I'll follow him. Prepare a table before me. Uh, I'll come to that. Uh, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So those eight things, the shepherd and his sheep, and it's a very personal psalm, the word I or me, my is used so many times. And then let us see the shepherd's ministry and equipment. Let me say a little bit about that. Uh, and, and it's not original. The material I'm giving you is in either of these books. The rod, when he says your rod and your staff, the rod has to do, uh, it's a, a defensive thing to deal with enemies it has a clubbed head on it so when the bear or the wolf or 
whatever would uh, come, uh, the shepherd would club them with a rod. They'd have something come into their head they never thought of. Uh, the staff. The staff is the shepherd's crook, and this was used to rescue the sheep who may have fallen into a ravine, something like that, hook them up, and it's the staff, uh, the rod and thy staff. One is for the enemy, one is for rescuing the shepherd's crook, hastening lazy sheep on. And then number three, uh, we often, and I used to miss this, the table. Now, prepare us the table before me. We often misuse or use uh, this at the table of the Lord. It's not talking about that. Uh, what the shepherd would do, he would go up into the table lands and he would check the table lands out for vipers and snakes that were down in holes and he'd always pour the anointing oil down there so that the snake could not slip past the anointing and bite the sheep on their mouth or anything like that. So you prepare a table before me, the table lands, and that gives a whole different thought. Uh, you uh, anoint my head with oil and uh, many times, and uh, when I do this on evidences of being a sheep, uh, many times the sheep, if they were in a pasture too long, they would eat that pasture to the ground and they'd get, start getting dirt. When I was on a farm and we used to have sheep, we had to you know, graze them from uh, field to field, paddock to paddock. can't say that in America. They don't know what a paddock is, dum-dums. Uh, move them free field because they would eat the dirt uh, trying to get some grass and bugs would get in their ears and so the shepherd would anoint the sheep especially when something was bugging them anything bugging you tonight and we would like to be anointed uh, that's when you're anointed something's really bugging me okay and my cup they would uh, provide a cup of wine and I can assure you it was not intoxicating because the shepherd didn't want his sheep being tipsy. Thank you, Kevin, for that good point. Uh, we better leave that psalm. Okay, how are we doing? How are we doing out there? All right, for our last few moments, let's go to Psalm 24. Um, 24. Okay, so following our picture that we've had, uh, verse 1 and 2 has to deal with the kingdom. On your notes, the chief shepherd, the, the kingdom universal. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in therein, the inhabitants, everything belongs to the Lord. So in spite of all the chaos that's in the nations today, the earth is the Lord's. Amen? Amen. And its fullness to the world and all the inhabitants. Okay, founded upon the seas, established upon the waters. All right, then we come into, let it be here, the generations of the kingdom. We have uh, questions and answers and blessings seeking generation. Now, I want you, oh, let me read a little bit here. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Question. Or who may stand in his holy place? So you can't think of, of this language without uh, the hill of the Lord. What was the holy hill of the Lord? Zion, where the tabernacle of David was. The holy hill, the hill of the Lord. Standing in his holy place. You either think of outer court, holy place, most holy place, and uh, I don't think we've had much, too much teaching recently on tabernacle of, of David. But you see, when, when David was here, there were actually two tabernacles. There was the tabernacle of Moses over on Mount Gibeon, and it had a holy place and an outer court, and the priests were ministering there. But it had an empty, most holy place. 
But over on Mount Zion, there was another tabernacle called the Tabernacle of David, and the only article of furniture it had was the Ark of the Covenant. No, outer, no holy place, no outer court. So the priests over there, there were two, two tabernacles, two company of priests, this bunch here that had outer court and sacrifice and everything and holy place, but an empty, most holy place. Uh, but the other bunch of priests over on, on uh, Mount Zion, they had no holy place, no outer court. They just had access within the veil. They had access right into the very presence, the glory of God, no veil. Because you see, David was shadowing the old covenant law, covenant, and the new covenant where book of Hebrews tells us the veil has been torn when Jesus died on the cross. The veil was torn. And uh, as I often say, I would not like to have been the priest on duty that day, offering the sacrifice, when Jesus said, hey son, you're out of a job. <laughs> the veil was torn from top to bottom. It was God, not man from bottom to top. God doing it. And they had access. And so we have access within the veil. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? And the answer, answer is, he that hath clean hands outwardly and a pure heart inwardly. So the hands and the heart, the hands and the heart. He that hath clean hands. So what do my hands do during the week? Are they clean hands? Can I lift up clean hands before the Lord? When I lift up hands to the Lord and worship him, are they clean He that hath clean hands. Or what have I been doing with my hands? Challenge. And a, and a pure heart. Is my heart pure? And then who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, New King James says, to vanity or to an idol, no idolatry nor sworn deceitfully. And what's the promise? He will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, or this is the generation of them that seek your face, the generation of those who seek him. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And, uh, you know, people knock Jacob a lot, but Jacob loved God in spite of himself. And, and, and you see, if God had followed what we do on the church of the firstborn, he would have said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of uh, Ishmael, and the God of Esau. But he bypassed Ishmael, firstborn after the flesh, and bypassed uh, Esau, firstborn after the flesh, and said, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Jacob, in spite of his nature, he wanted God. That's it. How many want God in spite of your nature? I do. Amen. Yes. This is the generation of those who seek him, seek his face. Now, as it goes to verse 7, we've just got a few more minutes here. Uh, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. So here's the picture. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up ye everlasting doors. Oh, yeah. Anybody remember that one? The everlasting door and the king of glory should come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, this is what I want you to think as we finish here. Jesus has fulfilled Psalm 22. He's about to fulfill Psalm 23 and now Psalm 24. And he's ascending into heaven. And as he sends into heaven, the cry comes up, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Think of the 12 gates on the city of Jerusalem. The 12 gates of the city of God were the names of the 12 tribes of spiritual Israel on them. 
Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. And the, the, the uh, antiphonal reply is, Who is the King of glory? And the answer is, The Lord. And let me add a little bit here. The Lord Jesus Christ, mighty in battle. Why? Because he's been to the cross and he's conquered principalities and powers there and triumphed over them in the cross. In the cross he did it. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King? And you see, here's a beautiful thought you might like to put down. There are three major people who were first shepherds, then kings in Israel. Moses was first a shepherd, then a king. I haven't got time to give you chapter and verse. David was first a shepherd, then a king. And Jesus is first a shepherd, then a king. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Jesus Christ, mighty in battle. He's the king of glory. And he enters in to the glory. And as the father said to the son, sit on my right hand on the mercy seat. And he's seated there tonight until he comes a second time. Everybody said, hallelujah. I think you've had your money's worth tonight. Let's all stand. Wow. Let's uh, once again just join our hands as we close in prayer here. Join our hands. Father, we, we just, well, we're just blown away to use a modern expression, just overcome with the glory of your inspired word. Help us to love your word and may it be written deep on our hearts and our minds. May we have a greater love and passion for you than ever. And as we go out into this week, Lord, may we be salt and light in the midst of a sad, lost community. We ask in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Pick up your children. That's it. Oh, the homework, uh, the homework. Yeah, homework, homework. Oh, if you don't work, you don't eat. And you... Okay, so next week, I want you to read Psalm 63, Psalm 63, and then Psalm 133, and Psalm 110. That's three Psalms, Psalm 63, first session, and Psalm 133, and Psalm 110. They have to deal with priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, and the Melchizedek priesthood. We'll have a good time on that. So Psalm 63, Psalm 133, Psalm 110. Good night. God bless you. Go home. Be sure to pick up a copy of Kevin Connor's verse-by-verse exposition on the book of Psalms, available in Australia from word.com.au and internationally from Amazon in paperback and Kindle formats, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop.